Hello. Well, boy, did we leave the story in the middle of a cliffhanger last time. Welcome back to our midweek Bible study. We are in Acts chapter 28, about to finish the book. Uh, we're going to start at verse 11. By the way, thank you. Uh, we generally have about 300, sometimes a little less, sometimes up into the fours, uh, every week that join us. And that's quite a large assembly whenever you you think of um, midweek Bible classes. But also that's just our YouTube count. And there are several who listen by podcast, and in fact, quite a growing number. Just to catch you up, about a month and a half ago, our podcast system ran into a wall. Um, the fellow who has done all the work on it lost his access to that server. That has since been restored, as most of you figured out weeks ago. But if you lost it back then, you can still find it now, all right? But again, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And if you have any questions, uh, you can just send them directly to me at patrick at rsafeharbor.com. Or if you would like to become a member, uh, info at rsafeharbor.com. And then the website is rsafeharbor. Uh, and again, rsafeharbor.com. You will find an interactive map there that you can play with for hours. It, it is a lot of fun. And it shows the a little pinpoint, no names, no no giving away of any private information. Just to pinpoint on towns and nations that have checked in. And checked in people doesn't mean that they listened or watched. We don't get notifications there. These are people that have listened or watched and then they tell us they're doing that, all right? So about 10% of our viewership. Still, it's a lot of fun. Gotta get to the book now. Acts chapter 28 and verse 11. Paul and his friends have been on the island they have um, dealt with snake bite, exposure, shipwreck, uh, tragic delay after delay, and now uh, they've healed uh, a lot of people on the island that had an outbreak of illness. And after three months, verse 11, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. So a whole different ship. A ship that had, had been wise and just shut down for the winter. If you remember, Paul kept trying to tell the captain, do not sail this ship at this time in this place. And the captain did not listen. Uh, we call that get-home-itis. Uh, people in boats, airplanes, and in cars die all the time because of get-home-itis. Uh, they're driving the car, they're getting very sleepy. Maybe they've caught themselves nodding off a couple times, but they think, I'm just, I'm just two hours from home. And that get-home-itis ends in tragedy. The same with planes. A guy with a private plane will look up and see a storm and think, you know, I'm just so close though. You know, or I really need to get back. I've got a huge important meeting tomorrow. And they die. That's what happened to this crew. Now they didn't die because Paul had promised them they wouldn't die. Well, they had been inconvenienced. They'd lost money, lost time. It was, it was a tragedy for the owners of the boat. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It is an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Um, Alexandria is uh, northern Egypt. And for a long time, it was a rival um, empire, I guess, or, or power. I'm just going to call it a power to Rome. And then eventually Rome took it. And it still tried to push its own um, power and Rome shut it down even harder. So Alexandria, uh, it's just um, uh, the amount of history in that place is amazing. 
They were put in at Syracuse and stayed for three days. From there, we sent sail and re arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Putioli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. And so we came to Rome. Uh, it just, in other words, time after time after time, here's where we landed, here's what happened, and finally we got to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. But he would be, wouldn't he? After the events of this, I mean, chapters 27 and 28 in particular, but remember, he'd been in prison, house arrest, yes, but still under guard, very, very limited in what he could say and do or where he could, where he could go is pretty much nothing, nowhere. Um, that for years, he's been cooped up and then he's been put on ships that crash. This has been a horrific series of years and you wonder, how did Paul keep his faith? Well, we know there were some miracles and that and I think that would definitely help you. But did you notice that the miracles did not free him from him being in prison? It did not get, the, there were no miracles to bring him justice. There was no miracle to make sure he was comfortable. Uh, there was no miracle to change things so that he would not have to go to Rome. All of these miracles that were done were done out of God's kindness toward a lot of them strangers who had never known him before. I wonder how Paul dealt with the fact that while he used to do miracles for others, the miracles for him seem to be very limited here. It, is it connected anywhere with his obstinance? If you remember, time after time, people came to Paul and said, if you do this, if you go to Rome, you will die. And he kept his face pointed toward Rome. It could be that God has let Paul make his choice here, but has not deserted him, is keeping him alive, and will allow him to be a light to the people during this time. But not going to leap in and rescue Paul from his own firmly made decisions. There might be a lesson in there somewhere for us. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Uh, we kind of skipped over it, but it's, it's so sweet that the brothers came out to meet him. Please remember, in this time, that was to put your liberty at risk. Because if you were a known associate, uh, then they, they'd round you up too. Don't need a warrant. You have no rights. They can shut down your family. They can enslave the family. If you're Roman citizens, like these, prob these probably were, I'm just guessing that they were, you had some protections, but still even then, known associates. And so I'm really, really proud of these people. We don't know their names. Uh, they, they have disappeared in history, but their presence greatly encouraged Paul. I bet it did. Three days later, he called Paul, the leaders of the Jews. And when they had assembled, Paul, uh, assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I've done nothing wrong against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. Remember, the charge was that he had brought 
worshipped um, Trophimus, a Greek, uncircumcised into the temple. He had not done that. So it was a false charge. I was not guilty. Oh, hang on. They, were, they uh, handed me over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. <coughs> Excuse me. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. Stop there. When you appealed to Caesar, you got something that you normally did not get in a trial. You got to present your side. To us in the Western world, that is considered, well, of course you did. Even in many places today, if you're charged of something, you don't get to put your side out there at all. And even in America, for example, I don't know about the other countries, but even in America, a judge can um, you know, bring you off to the side before and tell you and your lawyer, you may not say these words and you may not mention these things. And some of those I have experienced in my life through people telling me what happened to them and news reports later and reading appeals made later seem grossly unjust. So being a Roman citizen, you got to tell your side. And Paul here said, I didn't appeal to Caesar so that I could tell on these Jewish leaders and have them hunted down. Because you see, in some ways, he probably could get away with that because he's a Roman citizen and these people had accused him of something worthy of death. They had trumped up charges against him. He probably could have gotten many of them slammed into prison at least and beaten. They said, no, it's not what I came for. It's not what I'm going to do. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled, that was objected to being released just without charge back then. I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this change. This chain. Um, he's, he's going to talk to them about Jesus one way or the other. The hope of Israel. And please remember what Israel means. The word means the ones who wrestle with God. Uh, I love that description of me and my own life. What about you? They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there is reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Well, that's fascinating. It, this has been years, and then many months in the, in the travel, and nobody from their sister communities, not that far away in Jerusalem, has sent runners, letters. No other ship has arrived with news. I find that fascinating. In fact, I would find it very hard to believe. But at the same time, I really don't have any right to say these people are lying. But then they, they say, well, we don't know anything about you and these charges at all. But we do know nobody likes your church. Um, I used to be a shrink, so let, let me do a little, this will help you stay off the couch, all right? 
There are absolute words out there like always, never, should, must, have to, that sort of thing. You know, I should have played better. Well, there's not a should there. Perhaps it was possible that you could have played better. Perhaps it was not. There are many factors at play, but a should requires, uh, implies rather some sort of a moral requirement that you failed and that's just, no. Well, here, I, I smell this coming. He goes, you know, nobody likes your church. I've heard things like that about people. Uh, they'll say, you know, that church over there, everybody in town doesn't, we all know something's wrong over there. Or they'll talk about a person and they'll say, well, you know, nobody likes them. I believe um, that there are, I, can't, I cannot source the original comment um, of the com uh, of the comedian. I know Woody Allen used it. I believe that one of the Groucho, uh, you know, Groucho Marx, one of the Marx brothers did it when it talked about how the food here is so terrible and the portions are so small. Well, if it's terrible, then great. The portions are small. You don't have to eat much, but it's this whole blanket indictment. And of course, if you do that for a race, then you're a bigot. And that's not smart. So what's going on here? In some ways we call this poisoning the well. Before the discussion starts, you need to know nobody likes you. Go ahead. Uh, before this discussion starts, we don't have anything against you, but everybody has something against everybody that you believe the same, your church. Now go ahead. It, it is an attempt to derail the discussion, knock somebody off to the side, and if you've done any debate schooling or rhetoric, you know how this works. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came in even larger numbers to the place he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God, and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. Okay, before we get to the final statement. They keep coming in, coming in, and some believe and some do not. I can remember when I was a teenager, uh, there was a period of time, I'm going to guess about six months, where my family was told that we were going to move to Israel. Uh, Dad had been working with um, supporters and with the team already in place over there and uh, he wanted us to move to Israel. Well, we moved everywhere all the time. So uh, this was just going to be another move. Didn't happen. I've never actually visited Israel. Would love to go sometime, but um, you know, they kind of keep me busy. Uh, you kind of keep me busy and I, and I appreciate that by the way, because uh, you also feed me. Thank you. And let me pay a light bill. So thank you. Anyway, um, I was just thinking, all right, what do I say to Jewish people then about why I believe that Jesus is the Christ and why don't they believe in him? So I read stuff and I've read not a ton. I'm going to say maybe 10, a dozen different long scale essays or books by Jews who respectfully look at the case and say they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And, and I understand what they're saying. And I believe that had I been born into that community, 
I probably would have been convinced by their arguments. But having not been born into that community, I grew up with arguments on the other side. What I would really love to have is what Paul said. Now, we have some of it because he's already written it. Remember, all of these things have already happened. And Paul has been writing books during this time of being enforced house arrest. And we've gone through some of them already because we're going through the books of the New Testament in the order in which they were written, not in the order in which they occurred. So this is already history when it's being written down. Other books have been written that are already in circulation about doctrine and such. But Luke wanted to get the story down. So he's doing that here. So all that to say, while Paul makes good arguments for Jesus being the Messiah in Romans, for example, or in 1 Corinthians, we don't have a grand essay by Paul. We don't have a questions answered by Paul the Apostle. I'd love to have one of those big books. I really would. We don't have the sermon that Jesus preached. Is that a sermon? Class, however he led the two men from Emmaus. The scripture says he opened up unto them the scriptures. Doesn't mean physically. His teaching, they began to see what it meant. Uh, and the scriptures and everything they said about him. It would have been so handy to have this information. But we don't have it. Why don't we have it? Well, I'm not sure, but I will tell you that when something is known by everybody, people tend not to write it down because everybody knows it. Well, later generations come along and they don't know it. So that's probably what's going on here. Well, again, we don't have those arguments. We can make our own arguments and obviously I'm convinced. So I believe that the arguments are valid and that the preponderance of evidence does show that Jesus is the Son of God and he was the promised Messiah. I would have just really have liked to have had all this information, wouldn't you? But he got to a point after a certain amount of time that we're really not given any way to guess. Could have been weeks, could have been months, it could have been years. Paul says something and when he says this, the scripture says some of them just quit coming. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will ever be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they'll listen. Well, that was too much for some. And again, I get it. Uh, I try to be empathetic. I'm not really good at it, but I do work on it. And I can understand that I would have perceived this as a personal insult. But there is a truth in here, which we do see at play in the Gospels. And we do see it play in our lives sometimes that if we believe this, then the consequences would be something we do not want to do or think about. It's rather like people who 
will say, well, if, if you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, well, then I, I, you know, my parents didn't believe in him. And I just, if I believe in him, then that's going to be saying, I think they're in hell. Well, by the way, we've already talked about hell at length on our Monday morning messages. I am not one of those that says if they didn't get it right, they're lost forever. I, I don't say that. So I'm talking about the, a, a different group, all right? What you believe or don't believe does not change somebody else's situation. They're already gone. So, but that's what we do. Well, I can't believe that. Because if I believe that, that means this. And in the trials of Jesus, in my mind, it seems rather plain that a lot of the Jewish leaders really knew he was the Messiah. They just thought that if they rejected him, then God would kind of have to bend a little bit toward them because they're the chosen people. You know, they might suffer, might be taken into captivity again, but they're going to hold out for the hero they want. In fact, Jesus even says once when somebody goes, are you the son of God? And Jesus goes, that's what you've said. He got hit for that. But that meant the high priest knew who he was. Well, then why wouldn't he just say, all right, you're the, you're the Messiah. Yay. You're who we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. Well, very simply, you do that. You're going to be out of a job pretty soon. Oh, you're still going to need community and the Jews are still going to look up to you and you're still going to have a lot of stuff, but you're not going to be the top person anymore because there's the Messiah has come. And now a lot of the rules you had to enforce are going to go away because now you're going to actually become brothers with Gentiles. And that evidently in here was, um, that was one step too far. That was something they would not do. Verse 30, for two whole years, he stayed in his rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he, pre he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we end our book of Acts study. Um, and I, I want to be very open with you about what we're doing next. We're going to go to 1 Timothy, but I, want to, I brought this up some time ago, but I want to bring it up again. I am not doing the Gospels and putting them in the order in which they were written. That was a long, hard decision that I even rethought recently, thinking, I'm, did I do something wrong here? Because, for example, the book of Acts is really Luke's second book, and he says so in the first chapter. So shouldn't we have read the... I decided I'm going to keep the Jesus stories as a packet. So just be aware that while these other books of doctrine are opening up to the people, that from about, and we have to say about, because there is absolutely no way to nail it down, probably five or six years before this book was written, Acts, they had at least two gospels. And, or, you know, one five or six years earlier and another one coming a couple years before, at least two of the Gospels were out there, and perhaps even three were out there. John will come later. So they know the story of Jesus. Those things are circulating and circulating widely, while these books are being written and then will slowly get into circulation, some a lot faster than others. 
So while we really should have gone to one of the Gospels at this stage, Matthew, if we're going to plug it in right here, we're not. Instead, we're going to go to a book that he wrote during this time under house arrest, 1 Timothy. We're going to get started on this, but we're not going to go too long because we're trying to keep these classes at about 30 minutes, give or take, because it's just a long time for people to stop their day and listen or to listen as they're walking around the block uh, or whatever they're doing with this. So we're trying to be very, very thoughtful and respectful of your time. So 1 Timothy. Um, I think most of us know the story of Timothy, and there'll be a little introduction here, and that's what we will um, we'll use to get this set up, and then we'll come back next week. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior in Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Seems a rather formula, a rather formal way to start, but it is a formula very much in use at the time. So Timothy is very dear to Paul. We've seen before in the book of Acts, and we've his name's popped up a couple of other times. So what I tell people is he really had two sons in the faith, Timothy and Titus. Timothy was the one he sent to places where things were going very well, and Timothy was able to nurture and move that along. But when he needed to send in the shock troops because something was really bad, and somebody plain spoken and hard was needed, he would send Titus. And I think you will see that as we go through the books, because we're going to go through these books pretty much as they were written, if we understand our dating correctly, 1 Timothy, Titus, 2 Timothy. So that's the plan. Uh, I'm still looking at dates and people writing about dates. So if that does shift, I'll let you know, right? 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrine any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. What's going on? I, I think that he's trying to couch his words because his letters will be read before they leave Rome and they might be used against him. So he doesn't say the Jewish leaders and name them here, but he says certain men. And what are they teaching? False doctrines. Now, false doctrines, we've already looked at this before in scripture when we looked at the books of Peter. False doctrine doesn't mean that somebody disagrees with you on baptism, on what an elder's qualification is, on whether we should build a church building or not. None of that's false doctrine. False is a particular word in this early language. And it means dishonest, purposefully misleading others. Paul defines it as leading away silly women with myths and fables and to womanize and to, to preach to get money and to um, you know, you know, lie or curse, pretty much be a Balaam about the way you preach. So he's not talking about people he disagrees with. He's talking about people who are being dishonest. Think of some of the TV preachers over time, the radio preachers over time, and if you go back even further, the tent preachers over time that took money and took money and took money and took money while sitting on multi-million dollar sets and living in multi-million dollar houses 
uh, with limousines, cars, um, with executive jets that they own, and air-conditioned dog houses. Yeah, that was a thing too. Telling widows that they needed to send in their social security. Yeah. Now we're talking false doctrine, all right? Jim Jones leading people into the, the, the jungles of Guyana, um, sexually abusing women, and then telling them all to commit suicide. There's a false doctrine. So there are some very dangerous things going out there, and Timothy is just saying, I need you to stay there to fight this. But he also brings up myths and endless genealogies. Many of you have done Amazon, uh, not Amazon, sorry, Ancestry.com or 23andMe or one of those. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about using genealogy to establish that you are one of God's chosen people. When it's not that way, Paul says anymore. Now, it's by faith. So what is he going to tell Timothy? What is he going to charge Timothy? How is he going to do this work when Paul's in under house arrest in Rome and he has this time to write this letter to a dear young man. We start there next week. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Go check out OurSafeHarbor.com. I think you'll enjoy it. Bye.